0: Welcome to Packet Pushes Heavy Networking. On today's sponsored show, we're talking to Nokia Networks about SR Linux in a different way. Now, you'll recall a few months back on Heavy Networking 538, we deep dived into the features and functions of their brand new SR Linux network operating system. And one of the takeaways that I got from the show was that the internal architecture was substantially different. And that difference didn't only come from the fact that it's a brand new operating system designed from the ground up with using new languages. Uh, you know, a modern approach to software design and and deployment, you know, CICD and that type of stuff, and containers and adoption of modern technology. Perhaps the most significant difference was the methodology of Nokia's design approach. And we talked a little bit in that show about it's got heart. And the difference was that heart, if you want, actually came from customers who had actually got the capability to build a NOS but decided not to, and decided to partner with Nokia to get this operating system built. Now. I think that most vendors think they know what the customer wants, and then they go off and do some meetings and design the features, and then build something that they want to sell. This tends to result in products that fit vendor ideas, but not necessarily well idea aligned with what customers actually want. It's actually aligned with what they think they can sell. You tend to end up with a product that's got kitchen sinks, spare knives and forks, uh, a rubbery, you know, an old sand shoe that somebody shoved down the back. of it. Just Piles and piles of features that nobody wants. And you need them because everybody says they want them. In this case, Nokia had customers who were almost vendor themselves. They're big and they knew what they wanted. And they knew that maintaining a NOS was impractical. So this partnership gave them a chance to add their experience about NOS development to the process and SR Linux is the result. Now that's a different pitch, right? It's not what you and I would expect. And SR Linux has all the modern features that you would expect, extensibility, containers, openness, modern APIs. It's got protobus, GNMI, those types of things. And they're not welded on the back either. They're built into the design. But we're going to talk about this and more with Bruce Wallace. Now, he is the Senior Director of Product Management in Data Center Switching from Nokia. Welcome to the show, Bruce. Let's um, let's just recap the go-to-market for this SR Linux network operating system and and. Cover over some of the features that separate it
1: yeah thanks thanks Greg. thanks for the intro so you would have you would have heard back in july when we uh, when we announced this this new data center portfolio and of course the the, the coupled co-development we had with some of the uh, the leading hyperscalers that, that helped drive the evolution and and design of it so that does definitely change the go to market strategy for the NAS for, for us as Nokia and our data center business and that you know if you look at the The NAS market, the data center market—I should say more Mm. generally—it's pretty fragmented in terms of its requirements, and so that makes go-to-market pretty challenging. You know, what you would build for a a Google or a Facebook, you probably wouldn't build for, uh, say, someone who's just consuming EVPN services. So Mm. there's a there's a there's an entire spectrum there, and and as we were kind of going through this co-development approach, we realized that. In order to build for both, you need to adopt some of the, you know, the modern application design principles that we've seen our our, our brethren in the application world uh, take under. So, yeah. most of those are around this whole microservices movement, decoupling applications, clean interfaces between applications, and all of that is what you will find in in Linux. You know, if now, you
0: sorry, that's
1: that's a, that's that's important, right?
0: Now, because internally in the architecture. If if you're only building a router that's doing BGP, OSPF, et cetera, you know, LP multicast, you might not build clean isolations because you don't ever unload them. You just keep yep. stacking everything into the kitchen sink and then somebody writes a piece of code that kind of hooks the BGP directly to the OSPF and bypasses the API. And, you know, you end up with this hard to support, hard to live with piece monolith it moves away from this. It deviates very quickly. But what you're saying yep. here is... Um, I can have a container which is running BGP, I can pull BGP out and invent my own routing protocol instead.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And those are like some of the real the real things you get asked to do when you're when you're working at kind of those guys that are on the <laughs> forefront of data center evolution, right? I mean, as you guys know, it's public knowledge, Facebook has their own routing protocol we some of the we see some of the the tier ones in china developing bgp attributes that aren't you know mentioned in any rfc so if you take that as as reality that someone is going to need to potentially rip out components that that we as Nokia mm. put in because they want some of that do it yourselfness they want some of that more control they want the system to kind of fit into their model rather than the opposite way around you know i think uh, i think that changes everything if you assume that the system can be consumed at multiple levels outside of just an api you know if someone wants to write their own api into the system that's something that we could yeah. support if someone wants to write potential uh, stuff right down into the data plane that is stuff that we we can support with the architecture and as you as you rightfully said to to get around that whole kitchen sink problem we we've built this as as decoupled as we possibly can so if you don't want the nokia bgp because you have some some funky bgp use case uh that's 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 totally valid and, and we can support that
2: but i think it's probably also important to say that if i just want to consume this nos i can consume it i don't have to worry about swapping bits in and out i can get it essentially off the shelf and run it and it'll work yes
1: yeah, totally, totally, and that's the other side of the spectrum, right? So you need to design for both. You need to provide the turnkey solution that you know any any operator can can plug in your your switch and it boots up and it looks like a switch, it feels like a switch. If they just want to interact with the CLI and and interrogate the data model, that's that's totally feasible. Um, mm. And we have a bunch of other products that are are built around kind of that integrated stack, uh, like our Fabric Services platform. So we we have we have both sides of the market covered. The difference here is just in the fundamental design and how you how you build things, how you make them easily uh, decomposable and and being able to remove pieces from the system.
0: But I guess if I was a customer hearing that story and I was thinking, would I put SR Linux? I would be thinking, on one hand, I've got a brand new NOS that may not have been, you know, battle tested, which is syntax for legacy, you know, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you know, yep. had had several years of customers finding bugs in it because the vendor. Rarely seems to be able to find them themselves. Um, but you've got this interesting situation where you're saying from the ground up, is, is there something in here that drives quality? Aside from a big uh, hyperscaler giving saying, I want this code, I'm going to use it. And obviously, they're going to be doing some testing, which is a bit outrageous. But it's also going, mm-hmm. you know, would an enterprise feel the same set of assurance? What, what would you say to them?
1: Yeah. So the other unique thing we've done here is, uh, for those of you who are familiar with with Nokia, we do have another uh, network operating system and our service router operating system. So this drives some of the largest networks in the world today. Um, if you're if you're listening to this, your packet is most likely crossing one of one of Nokia's routers. So. That that routing stack was uh, also fundamental in the SR Linux design. In that we didn't want to break away from it, we didn't want to branch. We wanted to maintain a sync with SROS from a protocol standpoint. So the mm-hmm. first part of this program, outside of building all of that that new groundbreaking architecture we've been talking about, was figuring out how to bring in SROS routing protocols into this new operating system. So from a quality standpoint customers who consume SR Linux are benefiting from you know the hundreds and thousands of hours that SR OS has uh, in production networks as well as the hundreds and thousands of test cases that we're running for every single release uh, that we do on SR OS so there is kind of that 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 pedigree that we have on on the routing stack side and really that's the bit you need to be stable right i mean mm. you just see the infrastructure has to be stable as well um but I think, I think that quality aspect from the protocols is um, is the solution there. And the other aspect
0: that I think uh, would need to be tested, but I think logically makes sense, is we're seeing some of the um, existing NOSs in the market have this drift that when they use protobufs or GNMI or Python or REST or you know, JSON, a lot of those are not native to the NOS. And they have these uh, bolt-ons put in that do these translations. And if you make a query via one and a query via another, you might not see the same data come back. Yep. It, I, I would be hopeful that SLinux would be more coherent because it's modern. These aren't bolt-ons. They, they start from the ground up.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so another one of the design choices we made since we were building this from scratch in you know, 2017, 2018 was to drive everything using data models right from the get-go. So, there's an underlying data model. It's accessible through all of the APIs, whether they be you know, CLI or a JSON-style interface, a REST-style interface, GNMI. You're always interrogating the same data model. Um, so, you have kind of uniform state, uniform you know, telemetry, if mm. whatever mm. interface you're using supports that through any interface um, with the data model being the underlying source. So, not only is there no translations there, so there's you know a performance aspect when when you look at telemetry. Um, there's the visibility you're talking about. You know you can now pick if you if you're doing streaming telemetry at high scale, GNMI is your interface of choice. But if you're just running a show command, go use CLI. Um, you're not going to lose visibility because you're operating in a certain way, which I do think is key as well.
2: So you mentioned uh, in some of the documentation around SR Linux that one of the goals for the new design was extensibility. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so everything I, I just mentioned—the whole, uh, you know, driving things using data models, decomposing uh, all, all the all the pieces, um, and bringing in uh, potentially, you know, pieces that weren't built by Nokia—this, uh, you know, to a degree, works today in in I, w- I would say fairly hacky implementations. So this isn't stuff that uh, is necessarily uh, people can't do it. It's just a pain to operate. It's a it's a pain to manage. So a big part of the extensibility story is not only do we allow you to add to the system, we allow you to consume functionality from from the system within your application. And the kind of the key part to this is what we call our uh, Nokia NetOps Development Kit or, or the NDK, which is simply a gRPC proto-based uh, SDK that any application can consume. Our applications consume it as well. And this allows you to publish state back into the system within your own data model. So you know you can bring a, a, an open source BGP stack in, write a Yang model for it, import it into the system, and then when you hit the system through GNMI or CLI, you're going to see the data model that that application exposed. You're going to be able to do GNMI on change telemetry to it. So. I think when you look at extensibility, um, there's the adding on to the system. But you know, if we look look in the recent past, that's mostly done using these scripts that are aliens in the system that have no management. You're tailing logs. I think that was the problem we were trying to solve because we we know there's an appetite for that extensibility in in the tier ones. You know, that's part of their whole do-it-yourself uh, mentality. Mm-hmm. So we know there's a there's an appetite for it. It's just really hard to consume. So what this NTK does is kind of abstract or normalize the infrastructures or things like IPC uh, interacting with the data model, interacting with the data plane even, through a gRPC proto-style interface that applications actually benefit from. So it's more of a, a, I guess, a bi-directional interface as opposed to your traditional just programmable API. Mm
2: -hmm. Okay, so there's a uniformity of consumability if I've got, you know, sophisticated operational processes, I can easily tie them into, uh, you know, telemetry or whatever that I'm getting from SR Linux.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or or more to the point, you could populate your own telemetry and then consume Mm. it in your collector. So Mm -hmm. this kind of gives you that distributed uh, kind of compute telemetry infrastructure on top of the switch. So that's kind of what we were trying to achieve is there's all this distributed CPU out there. It's in often cases underutilized and we have a very, very good way of partitioning resources. So it's just 100% wasted. Let's distribute some problems to to that CPU, some that are relevant to to where that CPU sits uh, as part of your infrastructure, of course. But that's that's kind of where we see uh, the the tier ones driving driving towards. That's where we start to see tier two and tier threes driving towards. They want they want the Nos to, to work with them rather than just you know providing APIs. And you know, you can interact with the APIs, but you you dare not go and look further, further below. We're trying to get out of that mentality.
2: I want to make sure that one thing is clear to, to listeners that this isn't just a story about how Nokia built a network OS for Apple. And congratulations, Apple. It's that Nokia is now bringing this out to the rest of the market to say if the design principles we built into this extensibility, a modular design so you can run services and applications you need fits for you, it's also available to you. It's not just something customized for Apple. That's that's
1: absolutely right, Drew. Yeah, that's totally right. And that that in its, in and of itself is a bit of a challenge, right? Um You know, you have on one side of the spectrum, you have hyperscalers who just want a P4 interface or like an NPL interface into a chip. And you're expected to support that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have, you know, a customer who's asking you for spanning tree and they want a nice GUI to manage those trees right so how do, how do you how do you design for both ends of that spectrum right so that's um, sort of the,
2: the question is that if uh, you know the hyperscale is the amazons of the world can build a custom nos because they're very specialized and they have the internal development chops and operational chops to run it but if i'm just a, you know an enterprise or a you know a tier one telco or whatever I, I don't want to build my own NOS. i want to consume something but i also need that extensibility so how do you balance that building something that uh somebody with very specific use cases can use but it's also more applicable to a general audience
1: yeah it's uh, i mean i'll I'll say it's not simple um part of it is in the the technology that is used um you know we've benefited a lot in our industry from the it world the the that is the reality you know grpc and proto weren't really common uh back when we were building noses a a while ago thrift is another example of some of those are things
2: developed by google for their own uses but they've also opened them up
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I think part of it is that clean decoupling, um in the sense that if I ha- say I have a PGP service or you know a fib service, and its main job is to populate routes into the data path, it actually has a fairly clean set of APIs, and they're auditable, right? so if if uh, an application comes in and tries to arbitrarily add routes as 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 you know valid routes for a fib for population into the fib, that's auditable. So, you know, part of this is um, extensibility comes with uh, a, a loaded gun for for lack of a better term, right? Uh, going in and, and changing the guts of things can lead to undesirable behavior. I think the the clean APIs and the backwards compatibility provided by by protobufs, they alleviate a lot of that. Like if we didn't have those two components, this isn't something that we could even really consider outside of, uh, as you're saying, Drew, like building this once off for, for a Google or a Facebook of the world. And never selling it to anyone else. Mm-hmm. In this case, that that interface looks like a clean gRPC service. Uh, in the launch, we talked about it as our our NetOps development kit, which is a new style of SDK. I mean, it is it is essentially an SDK, but it's gRPC based, it's proto based, so you can write in any language you want, and it's a clean API. So uh, as long as you can audit the interactions with that API, you can at the very least you can troubleshoot something, right? You can figure out why you ended up into a state. In a lot of cases, that state isn't necessarily the system performing badly. It's that the input into the API was bad. Uh, and if you consider that API as just configuration into the system, if you program a, a black hole route in your system, is it the system's fault that you're now black holing traffic everywhere? I mean, there's that that distinct kind of pivot point, I think, where operators understand that if you just want a clean API, let, let's say like a GNMI interface into a, into a NAS, and all you're going to do is manipulate the configuration, the reality is like 80-90% of the market fit in that category. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they're not they're not going to come down and touch the noise and add extensibility. But what you can do to enable them to at least take advantage of it is for one, um, build a community around it. So that was that was part of the strategy, is we'll build a bunch of applications that are, you know, they range in complexity from simple, you know, inject something into, into the data model so that you can stream it out. Um, during the launch, I had an example of one of these applications where it would like subscribe to telemetry across uh, GNMI and it would populate alarm states over the ND case. And all it was really doing was measuring bits in versus bits out at an aggregate level on the system. And if there was a large enough delta, which was configurable and all of this configurable through the data model, through the GNMI interface, it would publish back to its own data model and you could stream that out. So that's a really simple use case, but it shows you uh, simple use cases can be really, really effective with, with this this architecture because now, your collector rather than having to suck down bits and bits out every few seconds or on change and trying yeah. to do this calculation itself, it's now offloaded to the to the device
2: I want to make sure I understand what you mean about extensibility i'm I'm reading this as you know with sr linux you built essentially a core NAS and then you added to that a uh, sort of a uniform data structure and you've got a uniform mechanism for things like pulling state configuring state and then you're saying to folks if you've got use cases where you need to tweak something we've built this uniform infrastructure, just follow these, you know, use protobufs or whatever as the the model, and then you can do whatever you want with it. Is that what you mean by extensibility? Yeah,
1: yeah, to a degree. I'd go even a, a level further and, and break it down into kind of the, the composable parts, the whole, the whole microservices approach again. So uh-huh. we have an application in our system that's called the management server. And its primary job, it exposes a gRPC interface to all the northbound clients. And the clients to this are things like GenomeI or CLI, right? So it really is the central mm-hmm. kind of management hub of the system. Mm-hmm. Now, as we were talking before, you load applications into the system. So let's take BGP as an example. BGP will be, will be packaged with its own data model. So it has its own yang. It has its own configuration for the application itself, how it launches, how it fails, what happens if it fails. All of that stuff is stuff that typically is hidden from... Uh, from consumers of the NOS, right? Like they can't go and add stuff to the data model. They couldn't add their own data model and expose it through management. the management server. Um, that is the big change here in that all of that common management infrastructure, all of that telemetry that, that is, that is you know, being pushed out of the system, we allow anybody to come in, build an application, package it with a Yang model, which gets loaded into that management server, populate... That Yang model over the NDK, so you're basically publishing to the system to populate the schema, and the system handles the uh, telemetry, the sets, the gets, the diffs, all of that functionality you typically see in like the transaction-based configuration. the The infrastructure handles that for you, and that's yeah. the same for all of our applications. Um, it's the same for any application uh, an operator writes. That's really the fundamental difference here, in that the infrastructure itself is consumable, not just to our applications, but to others written by customers. So you'll be navigating in the system. You'll do like a show command and interrogate the data model. And there'll be parts of that data model that Nokia never wrote. They're written yeah. by Apple and they have populating them and they're streaming them out using our, our infrastructure. It's That's to me here. we
0: talked. One of the things that we talked a lot about here is the pr- routing protocols. But I think the thing that actually tends to be customized more and I want to know if you see this from the inside, is it's mm-hmm. actually the telemetry system, which is more interesting, and the monitoring systems. Because in the in an enterprise data center, you're monitoring a very different set of variables than you are in a scaled-up data center like Apple would be. And it's not yep. so much that they want to change BGP or make a custom API to do a specific thing, although that's some of the things that they do. Most of the time, it's about the telemetry data that they get. They want a different set of telemetry data because they want to know what's happening or have a different requirement.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think another use case actually for, for this extensibility is exactly as you're describing, which is kind of this normalization layer where, you know, normalization and, and maybe we're getting a little interested in other topics, but normalization in general is one of those problems that can be solved. I, I mean, so many different ways, right? I, I gave the yeah, example yeah. earlier of something like P4 and NPL. So that's data plane pipeline abstraction. Then you have Hells, so things like a uh, SCI within Sonic switch SwitchDev. There's a couple of other other mm-hmm. solutions out there. Those are mainly kind of a data, like a, a hardware abstraction, a layer above P4 and NPL, if you wanna if you wanna call it that. Right. And then you have another abstraction on the the schema because the NOS itself is is structuring things internally, however it thinks is most efficient. You have things like OpenConfig, which are then trying to normalize that schema. And then you have even further normalization in solutions like AppStra, right? Which are trying to do all this normalization off box. Napalm is another good example of trying to do this normalization off box. Where we're seeing the trend go, and I think it's mostly from a a scalability perspective, like distributing the, the problem, is that normalization is, is as you said, Greg, pretty specific to that operator, right? They may have a specific management system and it's ingesting telemetry and they, they've had another vendor in the network for a while. So they're used to ingesting it in a certain format. How do you onboard a new vendor with a new schema and all that good stuff without you changing that, that system?
0: You don't want to keep rewriting your telemetry app or your SDN app exactly. The underlying thing to do the thing that you wanted to do. This is one of the variations of where the original disaggregation model came together. This idea that the hardware and the software weren't a single bundle. The idea was that you could have one operating system running on any hardware. That value of that seems to have receded. There's not enough networking to make that probably fly. But if I am... If I'm someone like Apple, then I've got a different situation I need to solve. I need that consistency and predictability and reliability. I can't afford to be buying this NOS and that NOS and that NOS and then trying to integrate them into the platform that I write myself. I've just got, I've got time.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And and you see even amongst the hyperscalers, by the way, that this opinion is is split because another level of that normalization is the NOS, right? Like You could view Sonic as solving the schema normalization problem. And that if you run Sonic everywhere, then you have normalized the schema.
0: Yes, same sort of thing. Same manure, different shovel. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, the, so just because I'm running SR Linux, I'm still getting MPLS. You talked there about Nokia's um, routing code and the engines that come from the other Nokia operating systems. I'm still getting mm-hmm. this veteran tried and true code that's coming forward into SR Linux. It's not like you've thrown out the baby and the bathwater.
1: That Yeah, that's that's totally right. I think the the big part of... Ah, uh, building Solar Linux. At least the first, I would say, eighteen months of building Solar Linux was really focused on. We have SROS, and I mean, this this thing is insanely feature rich, right? Driving some of the largest networks in the world has every feature under the sun. So we've already done all that once. Now we could. Branch. We could just take that a snapshot of that and try to drive it into to SR Linux and and try to do merges. We've done this in the past. For those of you who are familiar with Nokia, we've we've done we've done this approach in the past. Mm. What we decided to do here was that first eighteen months was spent figuring out how do you bring BGP into a new architecture. Just BGP. Forget everything else for for a second. How do you bring BGP into this architecture? So. There's a process in how you port a protocol from say SROS onto SR Linux whilst the protocol still stays the same. You know, upstream yep. to us mm-hmm, is considered mm-hmm. SROS. So absolutely we didn't want to break the tie to that. Um yep. so, so, so all I'm that stability. A, so if is I'm running exactly
0: MPLS, there. if I'm doing a metro network or a, you know, some sort of cloud network and I want to use MPLS or some sort of traditional protocols, that's all there in this, right? So that... I don't suddenly have to feel like I'm working with a brand new code-up, unproven stack for the normal stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean we're 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 porting things into SR Linux at a, a fairly rapid cadence, but I, I wouldn't say it's just you know drop MPLS onto a new architecture because there's a new data path, there's a new hardware abstraction, there's there's pieces that need to change. That being said, your your point is the same protocols are running in both operating systems and you're benefiting from, you know, the hundreds and thousands of test cases that we run on SOS. That is absolutely correct. So the BGP stack, once we have figured out that adaptation layer, bringing a BGP stack into Linux from a cold start is weeks, you know, and, and at that point yeah. you already yeah. have all of the features that are already tested. You just need to, to build the knobs to them. Essentially you need to build that schema to enable them. Yeah.
2: Um, Bruce, I, I'm thinking about, uh, Everything we've talked about in the context of network automation, do you was that part of the design goals that that sort of illuminated what you were doing with SR links to make it automation friendly to enable network automation? Because if you're trying to do network automation using a traditional NOS and you're essentially trying to duplicate the CLI or use SNMP, that's that's not an issue here.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> I mean uh, network automation definitely was kind of a foundational aspect of what we were designing for. I think we we took a different uh, approach than than most, and you know, I, I don't want to pretend that was us being you know especially smart or anything. It's just that we we were building this a few years ago, right, from scratch. So what we were doing as we went through that design process of, I mean, a, what are the goals we're trying to hit? Obviously, Apple and their use cases were were a big part of that, but you know, there's a much wider market out there that are consuming more rarely available network automation tools. So how do you how do you fit into that ecosystem? Part of that fits fits back into that whole extensibility story and that. If you can do some of the normalization on the NOS, then you can just slot it in into like an, an existing network with existing tooling. The other part of that, and and this is a, a little bit of a segue into kind of the importance of the management plane in the context of network automation, is this problem with kind of this iteration of interfaces that we've seen in the industry, right? Like we had SNMP forever. Mm-hmm. We, we, like, we, we took a, a dash and netconf. Um, RESTconf came out of that because we wanted something simpler. And now we have GNMI and the various GRPC services that are kind of dovetailing out of that, like GNOI and and, uh, and GRuby. The more modern interfaces are all model-driven, of course. The, the older ones are typically not. And hmm. this creates a, a fairly interesting network automation problem that everyone has dealt with, I, I think, right? Whether or not you're... Trying to just grab a field from the device and populate oh. that into some inventory management or use that as some logic to drive change into the network. The visibility of that field is, is really important. And in a lot of cases, you, you know, you'd see that field through SNMP, but you wouldn't see it through CLI, or you couldn't exactly oh. get it in CLI without running a show command and it's halfway down and you're now tech scraping and gripping through it. And then right. it's like that's that's yeah. the world we live in, right? Like that that is the world that we we live in today, I, I, I think.
0: Um, well, I think I think you know. Let's be let's be a little bit fair. I think most people are starting to realize that's where we've coming from, and that might yeah. be what a lot of people are living with. But I think they're making plans to get to where we want to be. So the reliance on a management interface, the end of SNMP, the end of the CLI, we're starting to see that transition really start to build momentum. But you talk about abstractions, and I mean, uh, when I when when in the early days of packet pushes, we started talking about OpenFlow as the first point of extraction, yeah. and then. Yeah. That didn't work out quite the way that we wanted to. So then it became something else. Like right? We saw saw the rise of the Broadcom APIs, but nobody could use those. And so then we started <laughs> to see the emergence of new a range of different ones. And where we seem to have ended up is protobufs and GNMI and yep. GRPC, right? Yep. There was an attempt along the way to use BGP as an API for programming forwarding paths. That really yep. didn't work. BGP and EVPN solves the L3, but doesn't solve things like QuaS or Layer Four or firewall rules or whatever. Absolutely. So you tend to end yeah. up, you know. And so this, when we talk about abstractions, that's what I think. Am, am I on the right track? There is that that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely, that's absolutely right. I mean, network automation covers a pretty wide spectrum. Right. There's the network running itself and i think that's kind of your like control plane stuff you turn up bgp and it kind of automates itself and builds a a, a fabric and exchanges nlris and and now you have reachability that's the kind of in the network piece but it's that whole surrounding ecosystem that is yeah. is the is the problem right and yeah. network automation kind of extends right from how do you design the network? Like, how do you build cable maps? How do you generate a, a, a topology? How do you yeah. uh, uh, provide addresses to links? Most of these are solved problems, right? There's open source tooling out there that does some of this and, and varying degrees of... Uh, <laughs> I'm, trying to be, I'm trying to be gentle with my words here. And varying degrees <laughs> of success, right? Um,
0: yeah. I mean, what we've discovered is that, you know, BGP VPN is fantastic. It's sort of like a step along from CLI. It's kind of like MPLS. It's self-automated and the devices can kind of do it themselves and you don't need an SDN controller. But what people are discovering is you need an SDN controller. You need some external software yeah. to make this viable. And I think we'll yep. see the, the idea of BGP VPN die off pretty rapidly. It'll just become a protocol that, you know, programs the API underneath and it'll be clunky and a poor abstraction.
1: Yeah, I I think uh, BGP EVPN is gonna be very, very good for if I have one leaf in my data center and I wanna stitch a service to another leaf, how does that occur without me having to go and do that manually? And this is really just a control plane function, right? Exchanging routes with specific address families so that you have reachability. I mean, that's the the end the end goal here. The the cool parts about it are that it automates the the overlay. I think that's really where EVPN starts to to show its value. And that 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 overlay might be VXLAN based. It could even be MPLS based in, in theory. So I, I think the automation of that is very useful. I mean, to be fair, if you look at hyperscale data centers. There's not a lot of EVP in there, right? These are like the no. the 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 simplest IP fabrics you've ever seen in your life, and in fact, some yeah. of them—I won't name names—they're not even Ethernet anymore. Ugh. Like they've gone away from the Ethernet. Like yeah. we're we're like we're comparing Earth to Saturn here. <laughs> they're <laughs> they're 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 really really different. Um, so and I think evPn will to play be a fair, role. There's
0: nothing wrong with that, right? It's it's not. If you've yeah, got to that is. point yep. where you want to just, you know, change the packet format and every device in your net is the federated networking problem, right? And if you can yep. work out that that's actually what you want, well, then so be it, right? But you, they're in a position where they can actually build a new data. They're building a new data center every, you know, whatever. And if that mm-hmm. new data center isn't running Ethernet, do you care?
1: No, no, not at all. Not at all. Because right. the boundary of the data center is at kind of the the borderly for the DC gateway, right? That's where everyone else sees it, as long as you represent it there in a way that interrupts with the rest of the world. Or you could even say at your edge, right? If you At your pop. As long as it's represented there, and that this yeah. is always the fundamental problem with, with federated networks, as you were pointing out, Greg. That there's an yeah. interop angle, right? And it doesn't matter what cool stuff you do in the data center. At some point, you're going to normalize it. Yeah, uh, Even to, at a control plane level, you're going to normalize it. has to be it.
0: IPv4 and IPv6, and it has to be presented <laughs> to a public network. That Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly.
1: Yeah. So I think the, the network automation piece covers a wide array of that, right? I think what we were really driving towards is, again, we're building this from scratch. So let's figure out a way that, at least from a visibility and a programmability aspect, that you're always interacting with the data model at a you know at a fundamental level you're always interacting with the data model so let's try and build the interfaces on top of that data model rather than having some that are driven by it some that aren't so the cli is all driven by the data model it's just a, a it's actually open source written in python it's just a way to interrogate that interface on management server to to deal with interacting with the data model and there's plugins you can write that's a, there's a whole other extensibility story there for those that are just looking for simple automations of show commands and and things like that I think yeah. network automation in general spans this this crazy this crazy wide range of uh kind of functionality you're trying to drive from design to initial deployment, bringing up the fabric to actually building services on top of that fabric. And, and I think the the area learned. And exactly. I think the other side of this yep. is
0: lessons learned, right? The then the, the, for a lot of these, for a lot of us, this isn't staying still. Like we might be using EVPN today, but in two years' time, you might actually switch to IPv6 underneath and then running ipv4 and ipv6 overlays of some sort over the top of that so
2: yeah
1: exactly yep.
2: it's this constantly, isn't static. Constantly changing.
0: Yep. yeah one of the things that you do fall into the mindset and i've had to catch myself substantially over the years is that you think oh i'm gonna this, so i'm gonna be on the new thing i'm I'm into the evpn yeah but evpn is already showing signs of sunsetting that doesn't mean if you've got evpn the world has ended and you're you're obsolete that is absolutely not what i'm saying uh what I'm saying is that the next generation of networks are on the scene and it's not 10 years away or 20 years away. Like the transition from uh, the data center being a tree-based fabric with spanning tree is only five years in. It's only 2015 that we really started to see overlay networking like Trill and SPB get traction, right? That was only Mm -hmm. five years ago.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, I I, I threw stones on our our evolution earlier, but whilst the, the interaction with the surrounding kind of management ecosystem is is pretty stagnant. Um, the the data plane and the, the design of of how we build networks is is changing, right? So, that, I mean, the, going back to the design goals, that's another foundational aspect of what we were. Design- I remember building out the uh, like a, a bulleted list of what we were trying to do, and a big part of it was. The NAS itself needs to change. like the the whole concept of you know you build it once and it's awesome and now it's going to sit there forever immortal and and never change. that time is 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 absolutely done. The industry just moves too quickly. So that was another I mean the the whole microservice approach actually really helps with that in the sense that, you know if, a protocol that we built today became obsolete. You simply just rip it out and you build something new. Um, if the way we were doing IPC eventually wasn't scaling well, you rip out the functionality we're using for IPC today. You put something else in. Not that's that right. I think that would happen, but that's the the, the <laughs> benefit of building a <laughs> of building in that way. Right? Is yeah. you can you can you can transition. You can evolve with yeah. the And kind that's of also the ecosystem. value
0: of microservice architectures, which you've got inside of here. This is the heart of yep. this thing. Is you could you can keep the old API there while you migrate to the new one you can install the new one yourself in a container type or a microservices type architecture it's not that like sr linux runs containers but it doesn't run kubernetes per se right so exactly yep yeah so i can bring up a new protocol it can do its thing and then i can migrate out the old one it's not this i have to rotate the box out or replace the hardware or reboot the nos that is not the way these these new modern NOSs work
1: Exactly. Yeah, if you can just turn off BGP and stick in, uh, I, I want to say evolved BGP or or something. The next BGP, there's going to be a new address family. There's BXP, a new multi protocol coming. I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> All
0: right, I,
1: I like it. BGP is because it's a yeah. anymore.
0: It's 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 a protocol, right? It's actually an API more than it's a routing protocol in these days.
1: Yeah, yeah. And speaking of that, that's another another side that we really like. We put a lot of emphasis on scalable management plane which i i think is kind of a close to a first for the rest of the industry like we've always focused on control plane right and data plane scale those up scale them scale them large um and that's always very controlled i think the shift we're under and part of it is that, as you say the uh, things like bgp evpn are going to be around for a decent amount of time in tier two and tier three but they're already disappearing or never got deployed or are being removed out of tier ones there's this this push to driving more and more using controllers. Of course, this is this utopia that we've always been telling ourselves that we're eventually going to have this centralized (laughs) AIML cluster that is just going to push down changes into the network that none of us understand. And it's going to do best pass selection and and we're just going to let it do its thing. And, uh, you know, Skynet is finally here kind of of thing. (laughs) I, I, I don't think we're there yet, but a fundamental piece to that happening is getting enough data into that controller with enough granularity um, yeah. That it can make those decisions yeah. quickly and accurately.
0: You have these controllers too. So you have a product called Fabric Services Platform, we do. which is yep. a, an intent-based data center orchestration tool. That so yep. all the things that we've talked about here are available for enterprises. You can go and run your Nokia SR Linux on the Nokia switches and use the FSP product to get all of the stuff that we're talking about today. So you've got the data center enterprise yep. data center stuff ready to go.
1: Yeah, yeah, we do. So so that that covers the whole, uh, that spectrum I was talking about, right? What we realized is there's, like I said, the guy that just wants an API into the ASIC. If you build that API and then leverage that API yourself, so now it's like a supported API, we're using it internally, you know, the eat, eat your own dog food approach, um, then that API now stays supported. And then the layer above that, if you follow the same approach there, normalize the API, expose it, then use it yourself, you end up with this fairly easy to support uh, kind of st- software stack, uh, I want to call it. So, the the top level of that stack for us is the Fabric Services platform, and this is why you, we can go and sell our solution to uh, you know a Google of the world, and then turn around and sell it to an enterprise that's just building out small data centers. They just consume the network a different way, but we have all those points covered with the the portfolio that we that we launched in July.
2: So, thinking about network automation, one of the reasons that it's become more important is because Uh, On the development side, applications and services are being spun up faster, and as you mentioned earlier, the network is kind of like the drag, and so there's this push for automation so that the network side of the house can keep up with uh, DevOps. But Mm -hmm. what we've seen in the network automation space is it's these kind of two polarities. One is either you can use a bunch of tools and sort of do it yourself and find the open source thing that works for you and maybe write it up, and there's this learning curve. Or you've got to go out and buy a product like an App Store or an NSX, which while they may give you that value. They're also expensive, complicated, and then there's another learning cycle. So, is there a happy medium that we can get to?
1: Oh, that's <laughs> that's, that's a good question. I think I think there's a few trends that you you can't ignore. Right? One is the uh, the abstraction stuff we were talking about earlier. I think we eventually get to a world where something like open config becomes the control plane for the management plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to to use uh, abstract terminology, the idea being that uh, if, even if I, I'll take SR Linux as a real example. We have our own internal schema and that's because we drive things like CLI using that schema, right? So OpenConfig is not suitable for, for CLI. I'm sure you guys have uh, mm, seen yeah. how obtuse some <laughs> of the data structures are, right? So <laughs> yes, that's not a problem yes. for a machine, but for a human who's trying to figure out is this interface up? that can be pretty taxing. So mm-hmm. I think what we'll what we'll come to is that open config layer becomes kind of the normalization. This is now your interface. If you're building a programmatic interaction with the network, it's probably going to be on open config long-term, I believe, um, or something akin to open config because what that does is, for one, it puts the accountability of that abstraction in the vendor's hands. The vendor is now responsible for for that their open config implementation. It gives them the flexibility to pivot that underlying schema. So... That whole evolution angle I was talking about, that, that doesn't change. You can still evolve the internal schema that can, can that can continue at, at a pace as, as necessary. But OpenConfig is that kind of normalization layer where I think, if it, you know, you brought up the whole DevOps ecosystem. This is where that starts to really fit in. And that I, I personally think that the, the right way to normalize is in a distributed fashion. Um, there's not much else like OpenConfig. I know ITF is driving their own models, but... OpenConfig seems to be the the kind of uh, the one leading the charge here uh-huh. um, I think that's how you enable the the ecosystem, so to speak, right because in the same vein, like we have our own schema um so if you're if you're that the an operator that's deploying Nokia uh, tomorrow and you want to interact with the native schema, then you have some work to do right you have and this is the same with any vendor it's not not necessarily specific to astro linux, but you have some work to do i think um normalizing that layer is the only way that we're ever going to enable kind of the cadence of the surrounding ecosystem and fit into it properly rather than being the drag um i see open Config as the leading kind of approach right now um there are others uh, as i highlighted things like napalm and doing abstractions out of the box and uh, yeah I, I don't necessarily see a lot of success outside of uh Uh, say fairly self-contained use cases or Mm -hmm. someone who's who's consuming the network literally at the at the that level and isn't going to look further further down because in the same way we wanted to embed the schema in applications on the box right anytime you go northbound and do an abstraction you're losing something or you're taxing somebody to do that translation at scale maybe that starts to matter I don't know, if you're doing five levels of abstraction and you've lost, you know, 50% of the information by that point, but you're ingesting a string rather than a binary blob, you know, five levels yeah. deep,
2: mm-hmm. that's
1: useful because that promotes simplified, uh, I would say, integrations with the network. But I don't think that lasts long term because there's always going to be the, oh, but I need this feature now. And how do I how do I trigger that knob? So you end up, you know, turning some things on through through one method and turning other things on through another. So I think the the multi-layer abstraction is is necessary because you need service-level abstraction. So they're yeah. not going away off box, but certainly the box-level abstractions, I think, should be owned by the box. They should be owned by the vendor. And that's the only way.
2: But is there enough market pressure or incentive on NAS developers or box developers to coalesce around OpenConfig or whatever the industry decides it should be?
1: Uh, it's a good question. Uh, if you'd asked me that a year ago, I would have said no. Um, asking me today... Uh, there's there's
2: more track. It, it's being driven by tier ones, right? Which uh-huh. which is good to right. a degree, right? Um, okay, because NAS developers or other vendors have an incentive they want to sell to those folks, so they'll sort of play their game. Exactly. Yeah. It, exactly. Yeah. I don't think if uh, if Google didn't pick
1: up Open Config and carry the torch, it probably wouldn't have happened, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not a lot of interest from vendors to make it to to make themselves less sticky, but. Right. No, I was I was talking to 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 uh, Rob Shakir a few weeks ago for, from Google, and um, he made a really good point, which is the, the 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 value a vendor brings isn't necessarily in the presentation; it's in the implementation. And th- this is you know we're we're getting down to to kind of the the crux of it that what the vendor is giving you is the the infrastructure, the the architecture that they've built to scale this nos in you know multi dimensions, and to to run the Run and support the protocols that are that are running there. The representation of that of, of that implementation is less important. It needs to be normalized because you have to interact with things. But I, I think there's there's a coming to uh, amongst vendors and it's it's being driven by Google, of course. Um, it's mm. being driven by a couple of the other kind of hyperscalers. i I don't think we can deny that it's a a trend that's going on. I also you know I, I was of the opinion that it probably wasn't going to succeed because there wasn't enough traction uh, you know a year ago. Yep. Now uh, I I I do see kind of the other side of it. On you know I'm building SR Linux. If I want this to be consumable easily, how do I do that? Like we have this this it's, awesome extensibility. Yeah. How do you how do you fit in when when customers already have you know uh, other vendors deployed? Um, you need to make it easy.
0: Yeah, I, mm. and I also think in networking we tend to default to close enough, which is good and yep. bad. That is, if you know, open config is probably from what I've heard about eighty percent good enough. Well, that's... It is. And it'll do, right? And we can't wait around for another five years for a 100% fit or a perfect fit because that's just, you know, we, we need that time. And I think the other side of this is we networking doesn't change. Ethernet is Ethernet, IP is IP, mm-hmm. BGP is the routing protocol, blah, blah, blah. Those things are federated and immutable, but everything about our devices is changing and everything about the way we use networking is in a state of flux and flexibility. And While it's possible to build, one of the good things about the tier one providers like Apple and the other cloud providers is they are actually iterating and changing. They don't say, you know, we're still building the same network that we built five years ago. We're just cookie cuttering it to the next data center. They keep iterating. The next data center gets built, gets built with a new operating system. And that data center might sit there and be stable for five years or 10 years or whatever period of time it is for their uh, retirement cycle for the switching infrastructure uh, yep. but at least they, they're moving forward. Like their new data centers are significantly faster, significantly more stable, significantly you know more features in the network, et cetera, et
1: cetera. Yeah, and hyperscalers are a really good example because they have the opportunity to do that, right? Um, like when they're doing those, when they're building out those new data centers, it's Greenfield. And as we were referring to before, the boundary of the data center is at that kind of DC gateway P border leaf level. Mm. So anything southbound of that, really doesn't matter from the rest of the network's perspective. They're just, they're IP routes at that point or MPLS routes at that yeah. point. So you can be pretty inventive. You can get pretty creative um, because it's an isolated contained environment. I think a lot of what they've done has driven a lot of good stuff into into networking, right? I think uh, Google in particular has made us second guess the, uh, I'll use the, the word iterative in a, in a different way, like just constantly yeah. building on what, on what we have rather than kind of resetting. and. The 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 kind of comment that, that that comes to mind was, are we in networking that special? And I I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, are are our problems substantially different that they need to be solved specifically for networking, or can we leverage kind of the surrounding ecosystem of, you know, the the solutions that exist in the IT world? And you know, GRPC and Proto are a great example of this. Those were created yeah. in the IT world, and now they're being leveraged in in Aranoz in particular. Well, I think, uh, in particular, I
0: think the whole idea of networking is going to go through another really uh, rather disruptive change with SmartNICs emerging and yeah. the SmartNICs in servers that are going to run an operating system. And it may actually well be that your SmartNIC runs something like SR Linux. I'm not yeah. entirely sure of that at the moment. That's, <laughs> you know... But
1: yeah. I, no, that's I think absolutely gonna happen, right? That that is yeah. absolutely gonna happen. I mean, if you look at it'll be driven by tier ones, once again. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. the way they've solved problems uh, in the networking space and some of it's due to cadence. There's there's a bunch of reasons there, but they've pushed them into the compute, right? Like the mm-hmm. the overlays start in the compute, they're terminating the compute or on a DC gateway or something. The fabric itself has really become this this almost like dumb bit parser. It's just just passing passing bits around. And there's a problem with doing this all in the compute and that you have software scalability problems. If you're trying to do like large scale ACLs in a software-based TCAM, um, good luck to you. It <laughs> it doesn't scale that well. Uh, it works, but it doesn't scale that well, right? So I think we're getting to that point now where there's certain network functions that need some level of hardware acceleration. Um, there's one approach, which, which is to put them back in the network, put them on the tour. And you know the tier two, tier three enterprises, they're still there in, in most yeah. cases. They're yeah. still doing a lot of services there. I think the eventual evolution is that all of this, like all of your incaps and decaps and stateful firewalling, all that good stuff, is happening on a NIC. And as you said, Greg, there's a software yep. stack that is sitting on the SOC complex on that on that NIC, and the compute has no idea that it's running. It just sees no. a, a NIC interface essentially, and that mm. has to be managed. It has to have stuff pull out of it. It has to have network automation. You know, air quotes here. Um, mm-hmm. All of those are problems that need to be solved the The benefit we have right now is that the, the problem statement requires a f- well, the problem you have that drives you towards using SmartNICs today has to be a pretty complex problem, because the, you know the, the price of SmartNICs is not necessarily where it needs to be, um, in order for them to be like widely consumed outside of specific, you know I'm trying to do this specific acceleration, so I'll grab a SmartNIC. Once yeah. they become more commoditized and, and more generally available, yeah, you'll, I, I you'll, think- you'll absolutely see it.
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple of ways that the SmartNICs could play out. But I think the point here is that we need to be flexible in the data center networking in the sense that SmartNICs are going to change the way the networking works. So the switch is now going to become another part. um, And the SmartNIC itself is actually going to look like a a router and a switch. It's going to be much more complicated, much more sophisticated. And all of our models of networking that we think of in the data center today are going to iterate again. So EVPN may actually not be where we end up. It may have been just a temporary step before we get to whatever's next. And this comes back to how the flexibility that you talked about in SR Linux, this idea of containerized, modular, built from the ground up with the purpose of what customers need. And the tier ones are the people that are following these trends. They need that flexibility. That's at least,
2: is that a good
1: statement, fair statement? Oh, absolutely. Yep, yep. I would 100% agree with that.
2: So to bring this back, then I guess I would say th- the main points around SR Linux that it's built for extensibility. Uh, you've sort of placed your marker down on OpenConfig Config as the abstraction layer to enable automation and other networking functions. It's a common abstraction layer, um, mm-hmm. and then uh, being able to support whatever it is that an organization needs to support in their data center. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: And the extensibility angle covers all the corner cases, right? And there's there's a, there's enough of them. There's I, I, always I corner yeah. cases, yeah. Yeah, like there's going to be a corner case in every single data center deployed ever. <laughs> is 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 kind of my uh, my line of thinking. There's always going to be something unique that Open Config isn't covering, or you have a specific tooling system or a specific monitoring system, and it's ingesting things a certain way using a specific format. And I see the extensibility angle of Astralinux both on the tier ones who want to go build their own routing protocols, so they can do that. But I think uh, but below them, you are going to see people driving. A lot of these normalization functions, as in, you know, my tooling system expects data in this format, mm-hmm. and I could normalize that off box, or I could just have the box do it for me and, and push it to me or expose it into GNMI and I could suck it down from there. That's the trend we're, we're, we're going to see. And open Config is going to be the, the model that a lot of those kind of uh, ecosystems are going to ride around is... Uh, is my suspicion. And, you know, Esther Linux has its own models and they're, they're simple. They're awesome. They follow open config. Like they're kind of derived from open config, just mm. removing some, some redundancy, getting rid of config containers and stuff like that. So the, there's enough muscle memory there that we think people are going to find them familiar. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a, there's an iterative problem with using those for uh kind of a more close native integration. And we've seen that in the past you know it's a it's a data model like like any other and it's different from any other so that means work for somebody to to interop with it i see customers that that don't care about that stuff they're going to consume something like fsp who does all that normalization for you for free
2: that's the fabric services or, platform from nokia
1: exactly yeah so so that's one way to solve it the other way is you know maybe there's not that many People that fit into this category where they're they're consuming stuff from the NOS directly. Uh, they are huge by volume, but not by number of operators. Mm-hmm. Um they they will go the open config route or they they will do kind of box level normalization using these these agents or applications that that tie into the infrastructure for the the corner cases. And where I also see that extensibility playing in is on the operation side. You know, we didn't talk much about that today. That's kind of this this new you know net DevOps and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um where I see it fitting in here is, is uh, telemetry is a big part of that, right? Having some northbound collector that runs some kind of remediation pipeline that's just ingesting a, a ton of data and is making decisions, maybe driving change to the network, like triggering draining of traffic if things are going bad, stuff like that. I think all everything we've talked about up until this point enables that. And I do think that's the next wave of network automation, if you are... Uh, Again, I'm air quoting here, Um, (laughs) uh, that's going to be the next wave is kind of solving for operations. How does this architecture fit into an operational model where I'm doing more than just pushing a new service down to the box? What if I want to automatically remediate, uh, I don't know, bit errors on a link or something like that, or, Mm -hmm. you know, trend and figure out when an optic is going to die before it does. These are all problems that people are solving or have already solved. I think this all ties into that, that foundational architecture and having visibility into everything, being able to stream absolutely anything out of the box. All of that is is necessary for that kind of utopia world where the network just fixes itself and you know Skynet is here and life is good. <laughs> you need all this. You need all this to drive that. So I, I think that's the other aspect is how does this apply to operations? How do I solve problems in the network in an automated fashion with certainty That the network's not going to blow up, right? And that's the that's the 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 stepping point we're at right now. I don't think very many people have stepped off and are letting remediation occur like headless, if you want to call it that. Um, We're going to see more of that. We are going to see more of that in in the next couple of years.
2: Mm.
0: Well, I think uh, we're starting to run out of time, and I hope that uh, I hope that we've had a bit of a a discussion that everybody was listening to. I I think the thing that came out of this discussion was sort of the the passion that. Bruce has for his product, which is really interesting and how this idea of doing a system from the ground up, but working on it differently, I think gives us a different way of considering how network operating systems work in the modern era. So um, maybe there's something in there for you. If you want to reach out and contact Nokia, you certainly should do via your preferred methods. There's a a bunch of show notes uh, where we've got links and references to various pieces of content that you can get into if that's what you want and get more information. And of course you can look at show 528. Uh, Bruce, you got any final words that you want to leave it with people?
1: No, no, not at all, Greg. Just uh, thanks for your time. Thanks for, for, for bringing us on. I think it was a, a good discussion. As you said, I am very, very passionate. Like it's, it's not a, it's a very rare opportunity. Maybe I'm naive in thinking that, but it is a rare opportunity to, to get to yeah. foundationally build something, you know, like for, right from how do you exchange a message between two applications? What do you do there? Right through yeah. to how do you normalize this for a collector? It's been a, a lot of fun to build. I think we have genuinely done things differently in the way we've designed for kind of multiple markets where we're trying to hit and enabling operators to take some of that destiny back into their yeah. own hands. Yes, um, yes. rather than letting the vendor control it so no it's it's been a pleasure thanks thanks for your guys time
0: no worries i it's just fascinating to think about how how much fun you must have had reimagining this from the ground up and for me it was the fact that it was coming up from from a customer was the initial start and that apple went out and said well we need to do this with somebody else and that's the, probably the key thing behind all of this so
1: well, yeah thanks yep. very much it takes some of the pressure off that's for sure mm.
0: Well, you can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog at net. Follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. Find us on LinkedIn, like us on Facebook and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.